Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you are listening from. Welcome to episode 39 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast, the only active Wakefield Trinity podcast worldwide. I am your co-host, Jamie Robinson, and it's great to be back with my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. Welcome, Dad. How are we doing? Hiya, it's all good. And we had a, another great win yesterday. We can't beat wins like that. Warrington again, we beat uh, a try in the last three minutes. So we can't we can't beat the um, days like that. Uh, yes, welcome to this Monday's podcast, number 39, would you believe? This week, uh, we have another mini break from the heritage side and go to the very top of the club and give a warm welcome to the club chairman, who's also a Trinity fan long before he became a chairman. He was a fan back in the 70s. Uh, top bloke, we really appreciate him coming on the uh, podcast, Mr John Minard. John, thanks for coming on, mate. Not at all, guys. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here on this. Excellent. And, and can I just say before we start, guys, thank you so much for doing this. I don't mean this podcast, I mean all that you do in terms of the heritage and the, and the podcasts and everything else, the archive stuff, and uh, we really appreciate it and it's just tremendous to have. Uh, in our club so thank you very much if I forget to say it at the end thanks very much now oh, brilliant thank you well accept a statue with a new ground then John should we say that yeah yeah a statue of Lee I think <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> that'll be cheaper than Neil Fox <laughs> oh, well, welcome to the podcast John obviously we've had you lined up for about six weeks now and you've probably mm-hmm. planned it well with with back-to-back wins and just a break for the for the all-stars game so how, how are you doing and obviously great great win yesterday as well yeah, I mean, we always, absolutely right. I, I was saying to people yesterday, I'm doing the podcast tomorrow, I think I've picked the right week. And it is amazing, reflecting, reflecting this with Michael as well, what a difference a win makes to absolutely everybody. Um, I was saying to Willie, just chatting, when we were in the midst of that bad run that we've just come out of, I said, you know, we said, fine margins, you know, we should have beaten Huddersfield, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, you know, one win will change things and two wins will change the world. And, <laughs> and it sort of feels like that, doesn't it, this morning? Or did this morning wake it up to, uh, yeah, we've had a win. We've had a good win. They're narrow wins, but but they're wins, you know. We don't, narrow defeats are still defeats and narrow wins are still wins. So feeling really good, yeah. How was the atmosphere within the club in that kind of dreaded six, seven, seven losses in a row? Um well, from my perspective, and I'm not there every day. I'm, I try whenever I'm up here, I'm I'm there, and I'm I'm there most days. Um, so I'm not necessarily the best barometer of the feeling. But you know, to be honest, there was no where I was in with the board and the people I talked to, and that includes Willie and bumping into the players as well as they're coming in after training. There was there was no panic. There was resolute determination, and there was a belief that we were a good enough side, that we had good enough players to get out of that. I mean, I, I said to, I was talking to Willie today and said, it's almost like, is the team good enough? Are they good enough players? Are they fit enough? Are they committed enough? And are they lucky enough? And do they and do they have the confidence? And I think the first three, you know, we kept looking at each other and you know, we asked the questions and we got the right team. And we do really think we have the right team. I mean, I personally believe this team we have, squad that we have, is as good as any I've seen. I mean, because here has changed, don't they, and the standards change. But I really believe that the, the players we have at the moment are amongst the most talented that we've ever had, and as a team and as a squad in terms of depth. 
So we thought that was fine. We certainly knew they were fit enough, and we think you know that the strength and conditioning has, has has really gone forward this year. We knew they were committed because we know them and we're with them. So people who said, "Oh, they're not trying and they don't care," it, you know, absolute garbage. You know, they absolutely care these guys, um, and and I know that because I know them. You know, unless I'm just you know completely missing a point. Were we getting the breaks? Did we have the belief? I'm not sure, you know, because some get some games the ball bounces your way, the referee's decision goes your way. Sometimes it doesn't. And I think in the last two games, we've had the bounce of the ball and we've had the whereas probably we haven't in the previous one. So it is this fine margins point. And and so there was a to your question, there was a belief all the way through um that we could get out of it. But it um it does, you know, inwardly you get a little bit little bit tense about it, don't you? You know? Um, you know, when's the next win coming? You know, and when we lost, I didn't go to Toulouse. Um, but you know, when that happens, because you know, the table says they're the weakest team and, and we lose to them, and you go, oh, that's that's not good. <laughs> um, let's just review that one. But then it, it does come good, doesn't it? Well, we've done it, be, we've come back before. I mean, over the years, we've come back before, haven't we? So, definitely so, definitely so. So, rewinding from the present day, John, all the way back to day one, we ask this every single podcast to our guests. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Um, it's kind of, for me, uh, and I knew this question was coming, it's, it's kind of the badge and, it's, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the view of Bellevue. And sometimes it's a view in, you know, on a, on a foggy Tuesday evening in a BBC floodlit game, you know, behind the posts at the south stand and you can't see much beyond the halfway line. And there was a game like that, I remember. It's that sort of being at Bellevue in, in, a, in all sorts of different eras and, and a vision of, of, of the East Stand, of the, what we now call the North Stand, what used to be called the South Stand. When I think Wakefield Trinity, I, th- I do think the ground, actually, because, you know, players come and go and, <laughs> and uh, chairman come and go and coaches come and go, but, but the ground has been there all the way through. So for me, that's the, the constant, actually. And I don't say that in a contrived way because I know we're talking about the ground at the moment but I and I think about the old ground and the old scoreboard and the, you know the posts that are a fancy thing on the top of them that they used to have and so on and uh, the old west stand and things like that I can see you remember that as well Lee. Oh when you just said that with a little thing on top of the post it brought back memories yeah. Yeah so it's things like that, that, that that's what made me think and it's because I've you know in the, particularly in these last few years I've become very um, aware of of the history, I was always aware of the history, but the fact that, you know, 150 years is a long time for, for all of us. It's longer than any of us have lived and it's longer than anybody's ever lived. So this has some something about it, doesn't it? You know, this has this longevity that we're going to celebrate next year. Um, and and it's, it's that sense that, that probably is with me. Over and above a trip to Wembley or a particular player or a kit or, a you know, um, that's what it is, really. Wonderful, mate. Wonderful. Good stuff. Um, just rewinding to the 60s. What's your background, John? Where are you from? I know you're a Wakefield lad. Yeah. Where were you sort of from initially? Where did you grow up? So, um, yeah, so I was born in Wakefield. I think I'm, I'm told it was in Horbury, just outside, but um, but that's close enough for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lived on Demidale Road, uh, just behind, well, you'd now say not far from Pugney's Water, uh, water Park, but it was a sand quarry in those days. Oh, yeah. And we lived on the main road there. Um, Mum and dad were both teachers. Um, Mum was obviously not working when, when she had me, but um, my dad taught at Hemsworth Grammar School. Um, 
So, and they'd, I think they'd previously sort of been one of them in teaching in Bradford and one in Hemsworth, and they'd settled in Wakefield, you know, they'd chosen that as a midway place. Um, so they'd settled in Wakefield. Uh, we moved house up to Sandal um, just before I went to school, really be, to be closer to, to be walking distance from a school, because we weren't when we were in Dermadale Road, somewhere in the middle of, you know, um, not far from where the Weatherby Whaler is now, but there's no school near there. Yeah. So I went to Castle Grove School um, and then Sandal Endowed School, uh, junior school. And then was lucky enough to scramble through an exam to get to the grammar school. So, I, and we lived in Sandal all that time. Um, so I was at the at Quags Grammar School uh, from 11 till 18. So that was my growing up uh, in Wakefield. And that was my my locality. And you know, it was two miles from the city centre, and you could get the bus to but the bus to school, or if your mum gave you a lift, that was even better. She taught. She went on to teach at the girls' high school as well. All right. Which was, yeah. Which sounds great, but was also an inhibitor in some ways. Yes. You, you know, that was that wasn't a great way to get a girlfriend at the high school because your mum was a teacher. There, that one, that didn't go down very well. Didn't go down well. I understand you were more of a cricket lover in your younger days, mm. the league as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd never claimed to be a great sportsman as a player at anything, and I was particularly not very good at rugby. Um, we played; they played rugby league at the junior school and then rugby union at, at the senior school, and I was never a great rugby player. I went on to have a, play a bit of rugby league at university, which is maybe another something else to talk about, but but never a great player. But I, I was I was OK at cricket. Uh, and my dad was a massive cricket fan and he would take me to we'd go together to watch Yorkshire uh, through the 70s in uh, very much the Jeff Boycott era. And I'm very much in that camp because you're either in that camp or not as a, as a Yorkshire follower. And I was um, it's a big hero of mine growing up. Um, yeah, so cricket was very much a sport and more of the sport that I played. Um, again, not great, but um, but certainly very keen and uh, and played a bit at school as well. So yeah, so we followed that and didn't stumble into Wakefield until well, I did stumble in, but not till a bit later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, before we go into rugby league, um, anybody mm. that knows you, strangely, you're a Luton Town fan as well. Mm. So yeah, you're older down at Kenilworth Road. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to explain this from time to time, particularly up here. Um, so. So I love football. I love all sport. I love all sport. I'm, you know, I play a bit of golf and I love all sports sort of thing. And football, like most lads, they love football. So growing up in Wakefield, um, when I was at junior school, which is when you become aware of this, I'm at Sandland Dow Junior School between the age of seven and 11. And everybody in my class is a Leeds United fan, almost, because that was the team. It's, we're talking about 1971 onwards. So that great Leeds side. But beeping me, I wasn't a Leeds fan, and I always—I don't—I don't think I've ever made this up. I think this is true. I always took the view that if you were from Wakefield, you kind of hated Leeds in all its forms, um, and particularly, particularly, obviously, rugby league, which I know you don't want to talk about just yet. But you know, they were always the team that that nicked our best players, didn't they? Yes. And because they had the big checkbook, and our players would grow up at Wakefield and go to Leeds. And okay. yeah, yeah. now it's not just Leeds, but it uh, it doesn't change. So I wasn't a Leeds fan. My granddad had been an Arsenal fan. Um, and so my team I followed was Arsenal. So I used to get a lot of um, stick. I'm trying not to use a rude word. A lot of stick at school because I was like followed Arsenal. And the Arsenal and Leeds were the two teams of the early 70s. Um, but then, and I saw so I love football. It's like, that's a background to say I love football, but I, I couldn't be a Leeds fan. So I didn't really have a team here because Wakefield didn't have one. So then I moved down south later in my life. So once I got to my 20s, I'm living down south and working for... Uh, for PwC, Pricewaterhouse, the, the firm I worked for all my career, in our office in St Albans, just north of London. And in, so we got to the mid-90s now, and I'm sharing an office with a guy who was a Luton born and bred. And every other Monday, he'd 
he'd tell me the story of the game at Kenilworth Road that he'd been to and and it was all very interesting but I hadn't been and I said eventually and he's still a very good mate today and eventually I said I think next week I'll go with you and he said oh you're very welcome and that was in 1995 and I've been a season ticket holder there really for, for most of those years so that's it so Luton is by adoption really because I lived down there I had a mate who went and now I watch him I watch over 30 games a season probably um and, and get into quite a bit of banter with uh, with Batch, with James Batchelor about it. As a really <laughs> Huddersfield fan, and there's been, yeah. a, you know, and his dad, I don't know whether you know that, but Batch's dad is a big Luton fan for reasons yeah. I don't understand either. But yeah. I think he told us that on the podcast. Yeah, the, so, so I have an affinity with Batch's dad, if not with Batch, obviously. Yeah. Um, so there's been a lot of banter about that at the end of this season. So that's the Luton Town thing. And, you know, there's a there's a parallel. I don't know whether you've ever been to Kenilworth Road, but it's a yeah. it's a broken down, dilapidated stadium, unfit for purpose. You know, really, with a reason that they were they were trying to throw them out of the league, and you know, they had this points deduction all those years ago, got thrown out into the conference, battled back against adversity. Don't get great big crowds. Haven't got a big benefactor. Spend less money than the rest of the division. I think you, I don't know whether you're recognising the pattern, you know, um, really, and, that's, yeah. and that's all true and, and a bit of a coincidence. So that's my Luton. And, and so, yeah, you know, once, once a team's your team, they're your team, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So back to, back to rugby league, mate. Um, you first went to Bellevue in 1973. Do you remember the game? I do. Um, it was an evening game. I've been reminded by looking at the programme, which I, which I still have here in front of me, that it was a Friday night and it was a game. So a game under the floodlights in March 73 against Keithley. Mm-hmm. of all teams and I went because I was Tom 10 years old one of my mates at school his grandfather was big Wakefield Trinity fan uh vice president or whatever or had a you know had a season ticket and he was taking his grandson and I went as his grandson's mate to watch and I do remember vividly we sat in the we sat in the east stand uh on a wooden seat not one of the plastic ones of today is <laughs> what I remember and you know it was one of those nights floodlights you know, play it not not the floodlights we've just taken down, the floodlights before that, the little floodlights where there were six, three of them on either side. And but to me that was magical because I, you know, didn't go and watch that sort of thing before. And to see the pitch illuminated with the West Stand opposite and you know terracing on both ends, it was uh, it sounded it was great. And uh, so I have a memory of being there and the image and one or two other images from there. But uh, but I couldn't remember the result. Well, I do. We lost it. We lost eleven nil. Eleven nil. My goodness. Eleven nil. Keithley. It was a strange game as well. I, I, obviously, we've talked about this. So I've done my research already. We were quite. Mm. We, we'd actually won uh, twelve of the last fifteen games, and we were quite. We we're in well, about sixth place in the league, and and Keithley were way down. So what happened that night? No idea. Maybe it was just your jinx, mate. We don't know. Well, it might be me. That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. It might be. Might have been me, and that might. That's not a great way to have started off. But uh, <laughs> I've got the program in front of me. It doesn't have a league table in it, but you obviously, you know, you know from the the, the program does tell me that uh, that Ian Brook was uh, available to uh, was available for all types of gas installation. So he'd obviously <laughs> retired. Brook he'd obviously retired and got into a different business. So yeah. I'm reading from the centre the centre page. Yeah, is the team is the team still in your program? Does it? Yeah, it, it is. Leave it the same as I've got. Yeah, well, I've got I've got Wraith, Jeff Wraith at fullback. Yeah. Smith must be David Smith on the yes. right wing. Yeah. Um, there's a change at three. Right. I've got a change that Jeff Rigglesworth was presumably unfit and yeah. was replaced by none other than Terry Crook. That's right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've got Leighton Holmes. Yes. Topli- topless. Yeah. Uh, I can barely say that word. Um, Bonner. Yeah. And the forwards, I've got Campbell and Lyons at prop. Yeah. 
That would be Steve Lyons, who I think came back later to us. That's right. I've got somebody described in the programme as Etherington. Yes. But I do believe that to be Hetherington. It was, yeah. And none other, none other, than, none other than Gary Hetherington. That's him, yeah. And I know that because I've talked to him about this game, but he's down as Etherington without the H in the program. Yeah. Valentine, Knowles and Mick Morgan. Yeah. And then there's been a change at 14 because TC was down as a sub. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to make out what my old mate's grandfather wrote. And is it Fletcher? It is. It's a fella called Max Fletcher who was one of our full backs. Ah, so not Andy Fletcher, but no, Max, no, 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 before him. And then at 15, some chap called Fox. Exactly. Who the was the man. player coach, I think, at the time. He was, he was a player coach and put himself on the bench that night, yeah. Yeah, because I, I have had the conversation with him as well about it. And, of course, Billy Neely remembered it and said, yeah, I think I was player coach then. I would, I'd have been on the bench. And I do remember him coming on because yeah. this guy or the old guy I was with sort of gave, me, gave us a big nudge and said, see this, number 15 coming on. That's, that's Neil Fox, that is. And... Uh, you know, and all that went with that being Neil Fox. And of course, this was all new to me, but wow, you know. And that is a vivid memory of the of the white shirt with the hoop, like the one over your right shoulder, um, with a 15 on the back of it, yeah. Um, great, great memory. Um, so you mentioned all this is quite new to you at the time, John, but you, but were you aware of how big of a club Wakefield were at the time, especially just in, in the 60s gone by? Yeah, it, kind of, but it was already sort of history. So it was probably, you know, my sporting, um, so that was 73, so I was 10 then. So my sort of early sporting memories would be the Leeds-Chelsea final of 70 and the World Cup of that year. And so I'd be seven. So I don't really remember much before that. So I, I did genuinely miss... Uh, in my memory, even misses all the great day, all the great because clearly you know, I was born in '62, so you know we were winning cups then. And water splash, I don't remember. I'd love to say I did, but I don't. Um, I have a vague memory that Castleford won something about 1970, the cup, I think, and yeah. and that again, I remember my mum talking about the stickers in the cars, you know, supporting Castleford at the time and so on. And uh, so that's kind of as far as I can go back. It was um, so, but I was obviously aware that Wakefield was. But in Wakefield, and that was, you know, probably behind that, you know, you hate Leeds and all its forms, because I was aware that Wakefield was a rugby league, even though I didn't go and watch every week, because because my dad didn't go and watch, so I didn't, you know, go with him as a youngster, I can't say that. But I was very aware that Wakefield Trinity was the team in Wakefield, that was Wakefield, you know, um, synonymous with, with Wakefield was Wakefield Trinity. We have this great rugby league team, because it was, um, and still was in the 70s, it was a good side. Well, as you say, we were near the top of the league at that time, mm. um, and still is, you know, so, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, so that was that. Yeah, I'd love to say that hooked me, and I I, I went every week, but I didn't. <laughs> it was some years before I started following more regularly, and that probably was about 76, 77, 77, 8 season. Um, when I'm a little bit older and I'm at the grammar school, and I went with you know a couple of schoolmates, uh, uh well, three schoolmates, Jonathan, uh, Richard, and, and David, and uh, two of them are still very good mates to this day, sort of thing. Um, and I still I was stood with John on the on the north on the north stand for a part of yesterday's game actually so uh, you know we were however old we were in 1977 when we started watching and we're we're still watching together today for at least for part of the game sometimes yeah, yeah very good what do you remember about that era because kind of like you say from 76 to 79 there was there was a cup final in there we, did, we were doing our case yeah. squad as well did you go to Wembley I did. I went to Wembley. That's another proud day. That's me. I don't, I'll, I'll even do it because we're not videoing this, but I'm, the, the top I'm wearing is uh, is the commemorative one from Wembley. It's not the one I wore on the day. The one I wore on the day was a was a white, although we played in the blue on the day. I wore the white one that I got. And um, I do still have it, but it, 
It doesn't fit, if I'm honest. Um, so I went to Wembley, 1979. Yes, going back, I, I, yeah, I started watching 77, 78 and, and could have got the bug at that point and was watching as home and away as I could. Um, and, and again, looking back on it, it was it was a pretty good era, wasn't it? I mean, we were regularly fighting semi-finals. We did get to the final in 79. It was a, a team that we changed the coach a few times. I think uh, Brian Lockwood was the coach when I started watching. He got the sack and he was a player coach as well. And he got the sack and Bill Kirkbride took over and he took us to Wembley. Uh, and that was, you know, that for me was a great side that I watched to Wembley and, you know, David Topless, Bill Ashurst, you know, all these, these you know, some great players we can talk about later probably. But, um, and then it did really well in 80, 81 when we came fourth, I remember. So, so I'm, so my context is I'm doing O-levels in 1979. Back time in the car on the way down to, to Wembley with the mate's dad's car. I remember we were, oh, my dad's car, I said, that was my dad. And, and a mate was with me. We were revising, I was revising the O-levels. You know, we, my French vocabulary was was being revised in the car on the way down. Because um, it was May, obviously May, right, just ahead of doing exams. And so I was, and I'm at the six, in the sixth form, doing my A-levels, 80, 81. And we had a right good side then. Because um, I think we even improved on that 79 side with with some signings and, uh, some changes around and I'm trying to remember who I can't remember who then went on to be coach um, well, well he, uh, Ian Brooke was in between was he? Right. yeah we had Brian Lockwood um, um, Ian Brooke Bill Kirkbride I think Ray Batten came in after that Ray Batten did he, from Leeds yeah. And, yeah and he coached a really good side in 81 that finished top I think I remember being top at Christmas or something like that and um, and then that side broke up very quickly didn't it that's one of the best teams that I've seen in my time, finishing fourth. Wembley 79 was pretty good. But that 81 side, 80-81, we still had Topo, Topo we'd signed Alan Agar. Um, yeah. Mike Onkoski moved to lose forward. He moved to 13, didn't he? Yeah, yeah which was a great we, move, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah we, we, had a, we had a great side. And they, they all clicked that year. Mm. Yeah, and we, and we still had the, you know, Smith, Diamond, Julius. That's right, yeah, exactly. Andy Fletcher. Yeah. And, and we signed Harold Box, didn't we? We did, yeah. Who, um, who had... Who I had the pleasure of meeting at the uh, the past players dinner the other day, and you know a fearsome guy and, and a Featherstone guy. So you know when he came, it was sort of I'm not sure I'm going to like him, you know, because he's Featherstone, um, <laughs> and because you know of some scraps at Featherstone. But uh, but what a tackler, you know. When when he tackled somebody, they stayed tackled, and uh, you know everybody went into the stand, didn't they? You know it was everything. And uh, I met him at this thing, and what a lovely, soft-spoken gentleman he was. And I was like, no, no, you're you're supposed to be a real fearsome guy. <laughs> But a really nice guy, and uh, so he, he tightened things up at the back because we'd sort of less sheared had come to the end, hadn't he? And uh, so we, I think you're right. I think we'd sort of we'd imp- probably improve the side from '79. Yeah. yeah. Do you see yeah. any comparisons from that team to, to these days? Um, you know, I'm not sure I do. I, I I think it was looking back on it, and you know, I'm that's the team I saw a lot of, and then I saw the team sporadically thereafter you know because I then moved away from Wakefield and so on so I won't talk in as much depth about other ones but I think when I look at back at that era I think the game has changed so much you know it is it's such a different game I mean we that was a game where we had scrums and and scrums really mattered and who won the scrum and they were contested and you had props and you had an open side prop and a blind side prop and it was a different position eight and ten were different you had a you had ball playing forwards a loose forward who might need to be a bit handy it, or it might be a second row, like like the genius that was Ashurst, you know, with, with his hands. And, and you had a scrum half and a standoff half, and those were two different positions. 
Now, compare, and then I think at the back it was Rob's there, but today, the way, you know, they talk about middles, and that's 8, 10, 13, they talk about edges, and that's second rows, and they, and they talk about halves, and they're playing right and left, you know, Mason's playing right, and, and, uh, and Milky's playing left. And, and it, they're, interchange, they're interchangeable in that sense. There's not one that's adept at putting the ball in the scrum and one that's adept at standing at first receiver. You know, the ball goes in the scrum now and it comes straight out and you've actually got your distributor at 13, haven't you? Because, you know, that's where, that's where he's going to then flick the first pass. So I, I pick on that as, as the scrum sort of thing. Obviously, the rule and the rules have changed, you know, a bit here and there. But I do think that, therefore, the, the game has changed in the way that it's played or the way I remember it being played. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but the way I remember it being played and watching it compared to how I'm now closer to how they play it and listened a bit more to the coaches. I'm in a privileged position to, to hear about some of that. And it's it's uh, it's very technical. I'll tell you, we could talk about that later as well, really. But yeah, um, yeah. the stuff they talk about and the moves they come up with, there's so much to it that I just I don't see on the pitch, you know. Um, and I do take my hat off, you know, that when the coach says, you know, because I'll occasionally make a suggestion, you know, and I'm only doing it as a fan and not as a chairman, because I would never as a chairman make a suggestion about the team. And, you know, Chesley or Willie would, you know, kindly say, well, actually, John, it's like this. Or Mash would say, no, actually, you, you don't really get that. Oh, I don't. They don't say that, but I'm, that's what I'm hearing, because <laughs> I know I don't. Um, so I, I don't know that I see comparisons. I think just in terms of relative to where we are, yeah, you know, I mean, we've got to remember we're in the top 12 all the time at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're 11th, okay, on points difference at the moment. We're not far of eighth kind of thing. And back in the day when there were 16 teams in the first division, if we were in the top half, if we were eighth, we'd think that was pretty good going, even then, wouldn't we? Um, mm -hmm. The thing that amazed, one of the things, I'm going back to that first game, I, I think I'm right, I looked up the crowd, I don't know whether you've got that, Lee, but, but the crowd was about 2,000, wasn't it? It was, it was yeah. It, like... Very small, you know, and 2021, yeah, in 2021, in 1973, when we had a good side, just over 2000. Yeah, now you know, we, we would like bigger crowds today, but the crowds we do get today, um, are, are twice as big as that. Yeah, um, and then I, you know, as, I, as you go through, you know, we, we had some pretty small crowds even when we had a good team. Yeah, so, we did. Yeah. So a lot changes, doesn't it? Right? Mm. Do I get the feeling, uh, similar to myself, I think we've talked about this in the past, David Topless is one of your rugby league heroes? Yes. Yes, I would say so. I mean, he was the... When I was growing up with the team, he was the linchpin of the team. You know, and it was one of those, is Topo playing or is he not? And he picked up a number of injuries, as, as great as a lot of great players do. And it was we were never the same team, I felt, when he wasn't playing in that era. Uh yeah, and he was a great, he was a great, I, I never had the pleasure of meeting him. That's a, it, it, a shame in my life that I never did. I know lots of people who did, and everybody says what a great man he was too, a great bloke he was too. And, you know, he he stayed with us and he stayed with Wakefield and eventually he went, you know, for he, after his testimonial and so on. But nobody begrudged him when he left, I don't recall, when he went to Hull and he won silverware at Hull. And, and I met one of my mates who I played rugby league with at university, I met. Um, at a reunion this year or last year, it was this year, I said this year. And um, he was a big Hull fan. And I remember that from university, he was a Hull fan. I was meeting him 30 odd years later, never met him again at that time. And I'd, what I didn't know was his, his dad was the Hull doctor back in the day, went at the, at the final and, and Topo was there. And I think I shared with you that, that, he'd, that Trevor Skerritt, who also went to Hull at the same time, had given this guy's dad, who was the doctor, he'd given him his shirt from the 
replay, I think it was, the number eight shirt that he wore. So this so this mate of mine had turned up with Trevor Skerritt's shirt, or he turned up with his number eight shirt and said, guess what this is, John? And I went, that's Trevor Skerritt. So the point of the story is that this guy who was the doctor at uh, Hull, so my mate, knew David Topless because you know he was the doctor was an important person in his life and you know keeping him fit and all that sort of thing and he said what a lovely bloke he was you know and uh, in a completely different context to Wakefield and so on so yeah he was a real hero and then of course he came back and coached the side um with you know with some with some success as well relatively in a difficult time for the club Mm. and you always feel that felt that he came and I'm you know I might be I didn't know but rose tinted specs but (laughs) I always felt that, you know, he was a guy who was Wakefield through and through and would do anything for the club. Um, and those are the sort of people I like, really. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, he was a great, uh, yeah. great, a great player. And absolutely, because when he came back to coach the club, I was very lucky to be his physio for all those times. Oh, yeah, so you were, yeah. So I yeah. sat on the bench with him um, week in, week out for six years. Um, wow. wow. Wow, yeah, he was a top bloke. Yeah. Back to yeah, you, John. Yeah. Um, tell us the pathway. You know, you moved away. You went. You went to university. Yep. Tell us your sort of pathway to university, settling in London, St Albans. You travel the world. You lived in New York. And Brilliant. Brought you back to yes. So, what's that? So, how did you end up on that journey? Uh, well, the journey you want the journey outward as well as coming back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, tell us, tell us from when you left Wakefield at eighteen. Oh my goodness, how long have we got? Um, so <laughs> no, keep it short. <laughs> but keep it short. It's, it's only forty-two years, mate. <laughs> um, I uh, so I left Wakefield. Um, I was at the grammar school, got my A levels, lucky enough to get a place at Cambridge University. So I went to Cambridge University, read economics when I wasn't drinking or playing rugby or messing about. Um, so I did, did okay there. I mean, that was a great, great three years of my life. You know, wonderful experience to go to, you know, a great university like that. Really lucky. Um, and then I got, so then you have to find a job. And uh, I don't know why, really, but that was kind of okay with maths and okay with numbers and interested in business. So I decided to become an accountant. Now, if you postpone the Monty Python, um, you know, accountants are the most boring people in the world. Um, <laughs> that may, be, may or may not be true, but it was a solid job and a solid profession and you know the world will always need them <laughs> so I thought you know, that'd be a job to get and uh, and so when are you going to do that went to the career service found out that you know the big firms of, of chartered accountants were it was a good place to go Price Waterhouse was one of those and um, there were some others I went to various interviews and there was that feeling that you know London's the place to be I didn't really want to come when I say I didn't want to come home I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way I didn't you know not falling out with home or or Wakefield or my mum and dad or anything like that. But I just was like, I've left home and I need to make my own way. And there was a sort of um, thought that, well, at some point, if you're going to go to the top in anywhere and you're ambitious, London's a place you've got to be in this in this country. So I'll go and train in London. So I went and trained as a chartered accountant in, in, accountant in London. So three, four years living in London. Um, I'm in a great time, um, probably too great a time. So I got through the exams eventually, you know, because there were exams to do again to become a chartered accountant but you were out there working with a lot of businesses acting for all sorts of different businesses um auditing their books i won't go into the boring side of that but um but it was a great grounding in business and so on and i enjoyed the firm i was with it was a lot of young people and everybody people like me you know and um so i just stayed and then i got when you get qualified you're like well what do i do now do i leave or go into work for it in industry or do something else or and they were opening a new office in St Albans. You mentioned, yeah, that, um, and this was an opportunity to be part of something absolutely new. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I came to St Albans, rose up through the ranks of the of, of the uh, of the firm, picked up Luton Town as a football club, as I said, 
Um, then again, lucky enough to get admitted into the partnership in the firm. So I'm a partner in Pricewaterhouse, as it was then. Um, and you know that's 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 a good life and a good living, and it means you're you're running the part, running part of the business. I mean, there were hundreds and thousands of partners around the world, but but still quite special to be one. Um, and then as I moved up as, through the partnership into uh, I sort of now moving in, I'm moving rapidly through the 90s. It was 96 when I became a partner. Um, uh, then I started on that sort of moving around um, the world because they asked me to go to, to the Midlands to start with, to Birmingham. And I did it. I'm sorry, I'd been to New York before that. I, they'd asked me to go on a secondment to New York in, in 94. And I did six months out there, um, which, uh, which was great fun. Um, so, I, yeah, it was, just, it was a, a short time and, uh, and a lovely place to be. And, you know, going to all these different places opens your eyes a little bit to some different stuff. Um, um, so great time there. Then so back to the UK, up to Birmingham, did a spell up there and looking after a part of the business in the Midlands, back down to London, bit of a national role, back out to the southeast to St Albans running and ultimately uh, ran the business across the southeast of England, excluding London. So offices like from Norwich to Southampton and all stations in between type of thing. Um, and, and did that, and I stayed with the same business, with the same firm, Pricewaterhouse became Pricewaterhouse Coopers, known as PwC right the way through. Um, so I was a partner for 24 years and that took me right up to, to 2000. Um, so my kids were born, uh, well, no, my kids weren't, well, my kids were born in, in Hertfordshire. I have two boys um, who we adopted. Um, it was very young boys in sort of mid 2000s. So I've got uh, a 17 and a 15 year old now uh, who are still at school down there. Hence I have a flat down there and I you know, see quite a lot of them down there as well. Um, and that, that's kind of how life was in that part of the world. Um, yeah, was that too quick or too slow that gets, gets you to oh, the 2000? Because we're going to come back to Wakefield now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you still um, a Wakefield fan through all this? Did you, did you keep Yeah, yeah, so, so, yeah so, so, yeah, so, um, so 81, so 81, I left Wakefield and I'd been watching home and away games at that point. So then I'm at university, so I don't get, I, I watch them in holidays, so I'm watching quite a few games at Christmas and Easter. And, and my dad sends me, because remember, no emails and stuff like that at that time, no mobile phones, it's letters, right? So I mean, my dad writes to me every week with and encloses the Wakefield Express reports on Wakefield, you know, a whole bunch of clippings. So I'm keeping up with the team. And I went through the sort of 81 to 84, which wasn't a great time, because I I remember we went down, didn't we, in 84? Mm. And uh, poor old Bill Ashurst was, was the coach at the time. And yeah, and uh, Wally Lewis and all that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, so I kept in touch that time, and then then I'm working in London. So then I get the opportunity to watch us when we play in London. <laughs> and I also get the opportunity to go and watch us when we play in Southend. <laughs> that famous night, we were, I'll say a night, it might have been a Sunday afternoon, but I remember it was raining, dro- driving to Southend on the A127 to watch Wakefield play Southend in Victor. Uh, I think for the one and only time um, yeah. in the second division. I, I think we lost, but you'll tell me. We did, we did. I can't, I got the, I, it will take me 10 seconds to find it, but yeah, well, it, lost, we lost that night because that was one of the worst seasons ever. It was, and I watched that game, and I, I, so I, I don't think we've ever won in Southend, and I probably, we never will, actually. No. Um, so that was, um, so I'm watching the team, and I'm visiting my mum and dad. Mum and dad's still living in, in Wakefield, and um, while they were around, dad passed away in 92, and then my mum in 2002, but I'm, I'd still gotten visit and, you know, holidays and so on. Um and, you know, later in my mum's life, when she wasn't so well, I'd visit her regularly, particularly on a Sunday. You know, it would be a good day to come and visit my mum. And, <laughs> and guess what? There's a home game on. So um, that took that, sort of, that takes us to about 2002. So I'm only really seeing by this stage. And then after that, I've no reason to be up in Wakefield. 
except I still did from time to time. And I'm, but I'm only talking half a dozen times a year because a 360 mile round trip was was a big deal. You know, drive all the way up from St Albans, park on Agbrig Road or one of the side streets, walk up Catherine Street, get myself in the the, the back door, and and then watch us lose, <laughs> and then and then drive all the way back down again. I wasn't uh, listening to Radio Leeds until it ran out at Sheffield, so I could listen to the. These are vivid memories of uh, yeah. the, the lunacy of that was lunacy then, wasn't it? I'm, I can't believe I'm saying it, but that's what happened. Uh, listening and watching Wakefield um, through the so into the 2000s, I suppose, yeah. I can't imagine um, anyone socks up as many miles watching Wakefield as you in that time period. Yeah, maybe. I, th I think we do have some fans who are, who are pretty loyal and drive some long distances, you hear from time to time. But yeah, maybe. But I didn't do it. I wasn't doing it every week. I don't want to overemphasize over this, but, yeah. but I did do it. And uh, I remember one game where Kevin Harkham kicked a goal in the last minute to win it for us. And because uh, I used to, because I was keen to, you know, get on the road and I, I'm standing by the gate by um, on the Western Terrace, you know, there. Yeah. the gate but the side and watching this kick go over and then I you'd turn and sprint for the door to be first out to get out before the traffic got snarled up uh, Agbrig Road so uh, yeah some some good memories in that I, I suspect that takes the uh, the Battle of Bellevue Castleford game in 06 but would be somewhere in the midst of that as well which which I was at I stayed around a bit longer on that time I was, I was, I was that's the first time I climbed on the pitch I think <laughs> <laughs> most recent was this morning but that was that was the first time um so yes, so that was a time when I was, and I always following. You know, you're following the results, and um, and, as, and if I continue the story, I suppose up to you get into the the twenty the twenty tens or whatever, and and I'm talking to people about you know following Wakefield and following Luton, you know, avidly during this time, and and one other thing people say to me, you know, why did you get more involved at Wakefield? And I and I did find that I get quite passionate about stuff that I do. And, and stuff and people and, and I don't do things sort of by halves usually and I found that when Luton lost I really did kind of do care when Luton lose I really was pissed off we lost at Huddersfield right don't get me wrong <laughs> so it really hurt but when Wakefield lost and I think if I was there it really hurt you know and I got you know I got a bit of a there was a real feeling inside that this was you know really and even when they won consequently I was talking about losing first when we won you know it was it was up and and, and I found out there was really something about it that, that it mattered to me really deeply. Um, don't ask me why, and maybe I'm just daft, but it did. And, it, you know, because it's my town, my city. I know it's a city, but you call, you would say my town, don't you? you know? um, and and it, it really, I really cared about it. So in about 2014, or not about, in exactly 2014, and this is this is now a viv more vivid memory, there's there's an appeal went out through the website. You know, I'd follow the club on the website by this stage. We're on into the into the new age for the the crash barriers on the crush barriers on the north stand, and I think it was it was covered then had failed, or they'd failed the health and safety inspection. At least that's what that's how I remember it saying. And we needed to reset them and recite them. And this was going to cost. Well, the first appeal was: Does anybody know about how to do this? You know, could anybody come in and help us do this, dig them up and put them down again, you know, reset them and so on? Because it's going to cost us 40 or 50 grand that we haven't got. And, um, you know, they're going to close the North the North Terrace, the North Stand. And so our capacity will get cut down to 5,000 or less. So I'm reading this. This is how I remember it. So I'm reading this. And I go, hmm, economically, that would be a disaster for the club because we could get 7,000 in because we'd been reporting clouds of seven, 8,000 in the previous era, 
because you've got to remember this is the era just after Mr. Carter had taken over mm -hmm. 2013, yeah, going to 2014. And we, he had basically saved us from going into administration again. Um, and, and, and he bought the club, well, not bought it, he'd been given the club to, to get on with. And, and I know a lot of the detail of this because I'm, you know, he and Chris Britton took me through it, you know, back in the day. So, so Mike, and it's Michael basically who's put this SOS out uh, on the, does anybody, can anybody help? And I think, well, I don't know anything about putting crash barriers back and I don't know anything about cement and, and concrete and stuff, but I do have a little bit of money because um, I've come into some money for various reasons. And, and it's, it's money I wasn't expecting. So I could, I'd be happy to invest it in Wakefield Trinity because I'm that mad, you know? So there's a number to call. So I ring the number. I remember where I was on a Saturday morning watching one of my lads playing five-a-side football. I rang this number. Go through this lady answered the phone and said, Well, I'll, yes, I'll give you the uh, I'll give you the chairman's number. Um, or I'll give you the chairman's mobile number. You can speak to him. So that lady was called, she was called Tracy North then, but she's now I know her as Tracy Carter. <laughs> she was answering the phone. She gave me Michael's number. I rang Michael Carter, never spoken to him in my life before, said, understand, da da da. He said, Well, you know, we're always looking for people who, you know, might want to put some money in or help us. Um, are you coming up to the game on Thursday? which was a game against Bradford. And I said, well, I wasn't, but I could do. I could get a train up and so on. Some Thursday night must have been on Sky, a game against Bradford. Um, so you'd have that one in your in your locker, Lee. But it's yeah. it was, a I think it was a Thursday night. You'll correct me now. But um, 2014, early in the season, February time. Um, and uh, so I got the train up, missed my connection somewhere, um, arrived late. So I didn't get a chance to bump into Michael, um, where we'd agreed to meet arrived just after the game had started, managed to bluff my way in because <laughs> we shut the gates and don't even let your pay to come in when your game started, no, useless. Um, got in, I can't remember whether we won or lost, I think we lost. Jared Samut was playing for us. We lost 23-10. Jared Samut playing for us? Um, hang on, I'll tell you. It was his debut. Yeah, well, that, that would be it, yeah. So that's yeah. why that name's in my mind. Yeah. So we lost 23-10. I end up in whatever it's called, Rolling Shack, Cat's Bar, whatever it was. Yeah. And... Uh, because I've sort of exchanged a text and I'm going to meet this guy who I've never met before. <laughs> and and I stood around a bit, you know, with a pint. And, uh, I've got a flat in, in Wakefield by this stage, by the way. So I was staying over that night. That's another story. But, so I didn't, wasn't like waiting to get a train back home. So I'm lying around and uh, eventually I get a call and it's this guy again, Michael Carter. He says, oh, are you, is John, are you still here? I said, yeah, I'm here, I'm here in the bar. Oh, I'll get across, you know, because he's rushing around doing all sorts of things he's doing after the game. And I meet him for the first time. And that's how we started talking. And, you know, long story short, I did, you know, put some money in, modest amount of money, a uh, few shares, became a sort of very much a minority shareholder, 2014, and started coming up more regularly to uh, to enjoy watching the game and, you know, or come into the restaurant and, you know, start, you know, get to know us a bit better. Uh, so that was how I came back into it. So it's, there's a lot of things that, uh, that uh, you know, and particularly those crash barriers, those crush barriers, they... They, they, um, they have a lot to answer for because they never did get reset and they're going to get reset now, right? But they never did. I don't know what happened about that, but they're the reason I got sucked into this. Um, uh, so, yeah, all good. Um, and then in 2018, um, there was a bit of a reshuffle and there was an opportunity to, you know, buy some more shares um, and take up, a, take up a, a larger shareholding, invest, I suppose, effectively invest a bit more money. Uh, and in doing that, Chris was stepping away, Michael was carrying on, 
and and I said, and we sort of chatted, and I said, well, why don't I become chairman? Because Michael was doing everything really, with chairman, chief executive, whatever, and you become chief executive, which more accurately accurately reflects what you're doing, which is running the show on a day to day basis. Chairman sometimes are people who stand at the back and you know a non-executive um because i'm still working at this point the full-time job um so that's what we did and the first thing then what we did was um the deal to buy the ground um with the aid of the loan from the council because it, pretty quickly it doesn't take it didn't take a genius to work out at that time that the biggest problem that and the biggest problem still that the club has today is the state of the ground and and it's and having not had the new stadium at Newmarket or or Pugneys or Thorns Park or anywhere else that people might have thought there might have been a stadium over the previous 50 years, and there have been many because I remember them or remember the stories of them. Um, we needed to do something with the ground. Um, we were in a situation where we were tenants. We had a landlord um, who was a little bit um, eccentric, uh, this gentleman, Bani Hussain, and um, there was a chance that we might get thrown out. Um, and we might not be able to play anymore up to the start of the 2019 season uh, was was quite hairy. And um, we did a deal with him. Effectively, I did a deal with him um, to buy the thing and also dealt with the council to see if, you know, to get them to support us. So when people talk about that deal and whether it was a good deal or not, and I think it was an excellent deal, it's down to me. I'll answer any question on that because I would say that kind of secured us at Bellevue. yes. We owe the money, we have a loan and all that. And that's, but that's, you know, we, we're dealing with all that. I don't mind owing money to the council, actually. I didn't like being at the mercy of a landlord who could have thrown us off. I mean, the, one of the first games, I think it might have been the friendly Kermo's uh, benefit game. We were really concerned that week that we might turn up on the Sunday and find that, you know, they'd put big concrete blocks out across the, the entrance. And I kid you not, you know, that was a worry that we had. And we were close to signing the deal, but we hadn't signed it. And we were negotiating and it was getting quite, quite difficult for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but we did do it in the March. And it was a game against Catalan. And that's when we signed that deal. And, um, and now we're on the freehold. So that destiny kind of in our own hands, alongside the council, working closely with them. And then we started on the... Uh, and, and my... So my primary... And this is how Michael and I agreed it right up front. My primary objective or job or role in this as chairman was to to get this stadium deal over the line. And uh, and that's perhaps somewhere we don't want to go too, much, too deeply and except to say we were doing really well it's up to March 2020 and had a deal almost ready to go and then something happened in March 2020 that caused the whole country to shut down. And so everything went on hold. That's probably cost us 18 months to two years. Uh, but here we are on the threshold of, uh, of starting work on the ground on the 4th of July. And as everybody, I think, listening to this would know, and the message is that is still the plan. There are still pieces of paper to be signed. There are still one or two things to, to go through. It's very, I was dealing with stuff today on it. Um, don't want to go, not appropriate to go into the detail. From the outside, you'd think it was more simple than it is. I'll tell you that, because I've never done this before and it is fiendishly complicated. So many parties to get lined up and get, and get right at the right time and um, a very complex deal. And I've, in my professional career, I've done a lot of complex deals um, or been around a lot of complex deals of Binance, much bigger than this, you know, multi-million pound deals, and this is multi-million, but I've been on, you know, working around deals that have been hundreds of millions. But this is a real complex deal. And, um, uh, you know, or maybe it's either really complex or I'm really not very good at it, I don't know. But but we are, but I, you know, I am now 
super confident that we're going to get there and something's things are going to happen and the things the plans that we've got in place are going to come to fruition which is uh which is exciting but i mustn't allow myself to get too excited so that brings you right up to date to today um um and uh, conversations i've been having with um with our advisors and uh, and and under the third party at Newmarket, who shall not be named and uh, and the council i've been talking to all of those people today and um, so it's still going on brilliant stuff i'm sure we'll circle back round to that when we come to the fans questions of what you can and can't answer but yeah how much has your role changed, you know, now you're, you're a chairman <laughs> two years ago, you know, the start of COVID? Yeah, so so when I, I, so I should have said that I retired from uh, PwC from my day job in June 2020. That was, a, as I was planning it, I'd planned it a year before. It happened then to coincide with the middle of the first lockdown or towards the end of the first lockdown. So I was stopping being a full-time partner at PwC. So, and, you know, I'd always said to Michael, who knew this was coming, I said, I'll have a bit more time. And he said, well, he said, this, this club will take up as much time as you can give it. <laughs> and and so, so my life has changed then and, and the move up here, you know, we've had this house here for about, about a year now um, and spending much more time on it. So that has changed quite a lot. I'm now far more involved on a day-to-day -day basis. Not, not doing Michael's job, he's still doing the job. Michael is the guy who runs the club as chief executive, but I'm, you know, I'm there to help him. And I'm there to run, you know, this, this stadium bit has become, you know, absolutely central to everything we do. And, uh, and we have a board of uh, directors now and we've got people who've been helping us, John Allett, Roger Lambert, Denise Teal, uh, who we put together, which we didn't have in 2018. Um, so, yeah, it, it's more of a, a team at the top now than it was when poor old Michael was kind of looking at running it all on his own. Um, well, as he did it. <laughs> um, but yes, so, that, so that's, that's changed. So life has changed and the balance of my life is far more up here now. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm loving it, particularly when we win. <laughs> I get that feeling, John, that um, you, you're, uh, you, you find it a great privilege to be a Wakefield mm. born and bred and Trinity fan as, as, as taking on the chairman. You're, you're the 19th club chairman we've had in our history. Right? You seem very proud of doing the job and holding the role. Oh, immensely proud, guys. I mean, immensely proud. And, it, you know, it, it's, not, it's not something like, oh, you always dreamed of doing that sort of thing. You know, I might have dreamed of playing or I might have dreamed of playing opening the batting for England sort of thing, but that all went away a long time ago. But... It just it's just happened you know it's it's one of those things that and people have said this to me you know friends of mine and, and so on have said what would your dad think you know and I, I don't know what my dad would think you know he'd think wow you know what on earth is all that about and I think what on earth is all that about but it's just you know a series of events have happened and it is absolutely a real privilege to do it because of that thing I said earlier about what do I first think about that 150 year thing and that institution that is Wakefield Trinity you know Michael and I are very key I think always very clear to use the word custodian, you know, you know, we might be the owners, you know, there's four of us who've got shares, right? And Michael and I have got, you know, very much the majority. So you say, oh, I'm the owner. It's not about being the owner. It's not owned by anybody, really. I mean, legally it is, yes, but we're really custodians. We, we you know, like I said, chairman come and go, 19th, right? So uh, chairman come and go, historians come and go, players come and go, coaches come and go, spectators even come and go. They're there a long time. Somebody in the restaurant this week, 75 years as a fan, you know, and Michael said they deserve a knighthood, you know, I mean, never <laughs> mind anybody else. 75 years supporting Wakefield Trinity are unbelievable, this chap. So, but they still come and go in 150 years. And so, yeah, it is a privilege just to, to guide it into the next, into the next era. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, other than, other than my children, probably, <laughs> I'm as proud about this as anything else. Um, 
Excellent. You, yeah. you also you, you seem to be the go-to man these days when it when it comes to the ground. Obviously, the, the ground improvements have been going on for years. We've all, even when you were a fan, we've all seen it. You know, we believe it's happening when we sat in the stand on yep. the east stand. Um, where are we now, John? You know, you because you're you're very keen. You've written some lo- lovely stuff. You've been on social media telling us where we are. How have you got to this level now in the in the stadium? Where that where are we at? We know about where the are we fact, at with it. Right? Well, mm. well, well, we are on the threshold of this next phase of the development, and this you know this phase that we've talked about. And just to to repeat it for people, what we're about to do is start a piece of work that's going to cost over twelve million pounds. It's going to involve knocking down the east stand, which is. And you, you may know how long the East Stand's been there. That's a good question for you, Lee. Whether you know how long that's been there. That I think East Stand, that East Stand was built in 1924. I was going to say 1925 was my guess, so not a guess, but it, it, yeah. yeah. So we're going to take that down first. So that's over 100. No, it's not not quite 100 years old. So we're going to take that down and build a brand new stand uh, for two and a half thousand seats with um, a restaurant facility at the top, at the back. That'll take 250 people with kitchen and so on. So a restaurant for the match days, but a conference facility, you know, wedding reception, whatever you want to do, you know, you know, something that Wakefield doesn't have. And we have a museum. There'll be a museum part to it, absolutely. So well, heritage, heritage lottery funding, all that. Yes, absolutely, yes. Um, And then underground or under the stand, changing rooms, all the things we need that we sort of have squeezed into the the corner building. Um, a concourse underneath, concessions, places to buy food and drink and all that sort of stuff. Um, new ticket office, new club offices there, a conference room, club offices, you know, modern modern stuff, a proper reception area. Um, off the car park, which will be, guess what, we're going to put tarmac down or something similar in the car park so it doesn't really resemble a lunar landscape anymore and it's somewhere that you can park your car by one, without wondering whether your tyres are going to get damaged. Um, there won't be as much space, of course, because it's all got to be properly landscaped and proper spaces, but it will be easier easier to park in, probably easier to get out of as well. Um, so all of that's going to get done, a fan zone outside as well. So all that happening on the east, um, so for some fun and games ahead of games. The north stand, or terrace really as it is, um, is going to get a resurfacing at the back. So beyond the walkway, there's going to be, that's going to be, re- that, um, what am I saying? That uh, a terracing is going to be replaced by putting terracing over terracing. So we're not digging it all out. Neither are we. Fax- we're fixing something on top of. It involves drilling down to good sandstone underneath and cross beams, and then putting some Lego type blocks on, which are concrete. It, it, it'd be easier to see it when it's there rather than describe it beforehand. So we're doing something about the back, the second, the, the back half of the of the north stand, leaving the front as it is, because um, it's kind of okay at the front, the bit outside, but the bit inside, which isn't okay, when, if you've stood on it recently, <laughs> um, we're dealing with that, uh, which will you know improve capacity, um, and then you've already seen floodlights. You're about to see a big screen come up in, in the corner where, the, where we've had it before. We're going to have a permanent big screen. And because it's permanent, it's got to have better foundations than the one that only went up on days when it wasn't windy. Because yeah. be, this one will be up days whether it's windy or not. And then we're going to do a lot of work. Once we've done all of that, we can move out of the, the corner building, which contains the rolling shack and contains the Legends Bar and contains the, the, the changing rooms such as they are. That building essentially will be gutted internally 
it's a sound building with a new roof we've already put on um and we're going to we're going in there we're going to have um exercise studio dance studio type facility we're going to have little ill-defined at this point so we you know we're open to ideas here some form of strength and conditioning gym not a big public gym that was an idea at one time but we can't afford to do that all of that and that's probably a step too far maybe we'll get to that at some point the changing rooms will get redone but in a different and better way i mean they are really not good at all particularly the away ones which we don't care about but other people do um so the big you know male female changing rooms there as well so we'll have two sets of changing rooms because we'll have them in the new east stand as well so double-headed games all that sort of stuff um and and a cafe up there as well uh for use by community on non-match days you know come in drop in have a cup of coffee have a chat meet your mates um there'll be something going on on the pitch probably so you can watch that as well uh, a bit of retail a bit of club retail um probably in addition to the one in the ridings you know so you can buy your gear there as well um but not completely defined because that won't happen until we've got the new east stand built so we can move out of that building and all the things we do in there can move somewhere else so so that's what we're doing and i suppose the final piece is is the pitch uh and we will re recover the pitch something else we will end up with a pitch that we can use far more than we can use the one we've got at the moment one we've got at the moment looks lovely plays very well but the reason it does that is because we don't let people play on it <laughs> until until bathy steve dutton says they can we want one that is more robust now whether that's a 4g so-called 4g service surface or a grass enhanced surface is still being weighed up and we're looking at what we're going to do is put the latest technology down there that gives us the ability to use it so that all our teams can play on it all the time so the ladies team the youth teams and as well as pdrl ldrl you know all the teams that need to use it um as well as the first team and we can train there as well so we don't have to go somewhere else to train and crucially we can hire it out to the uh, to the community so amateur teams local teams football teams you know anybody who wants to kick a ball about including in the evening, midweek, during the day, schools, I don't know. You know, we've got the floodlights, we've got changing facilities. Um, and then putting it bluntly, we can make money out of it. And we can make money out of that. We can make money out of the conferencing. On Because listen, we've got an asset here at uh, Bellevue, uh, which we use 15 days a year, really. Mm. And there are 360, 350 other days where we don't use it. And so we've got an asset that we need to use more. If you're just talking boring, accounting economic terms that's what we've got to do we've got and we've got so we've got a venue where you can have a reception or a conference for 250 people with car parking um that's going to be great isn't it you know so we, we can charge people for that and they'll want to come and pay for that we, we believe so we need to make more money on out of the pitch more money in the conferencing and other facilities because we, we will free up space in the south in the south the block of flats at the south stand as we call it because the club officers will all move into the new building as well so we've got some uses we can think of to use those that building because that building's sound. I mean, you'll remember it going up as a temporary construction that was never paid for whenever it was. Um, but it's it's still there and it's functional and we make good money out of it at the moment. We can make more money out of that as well. It's not all about making money, but making money, it's to make money to do to make sure we can service our debt, but also to invest in 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 the first team squad and in the ladies' team and so on. Because as everybody knows, we're not, you know, we're not spending the salary cap. And that's the only way we survive. Um, we don't spend the salary cap because we haven't got the money. And you can't spend money you haven't got, because if you do that, you go bust. And that's happened before at Wayfield Trinity. And we're not going to do that. Michael and I aren't going to do that. We're going to run a sustainable club. 
but we know desperately we need more funds to uh, to invest in the first team. So that's the purpose of the ground. And I'm now going beyond my brief of explaining to you where we are with the ground. Does, does that help? <laughs> very much so. Very. When we're looking at, in, you, you mentioned obviously incrementally how, how it's all going to happen. When are you looking at days of completion for each part? Yeah. So so the, the, the first, the big landmark is the East Stand. So that will start, and it'll start by knocking down what we've got and taking the roof off very carefully because it's asbestos and all that sort of thing. So that it'll start slowly. Um, from the 4th of July onwards, it, it will take a year to build that stand. So that'll be the middle of next season before we have that stand. And we can't say exactly, but the, the people who are going to build it who are experienced at building tell us that's how long it takes. And, and you can look at many stands. I mean, if you look at the one at Fulham, it's taken much more than a year. It's much bigger than ours, but it'll still take a year to do that. Um, the work on the North Stand, we're hoping is going to happen in the off season between 22 and 23. So that'll be ready for the beginning of 23. Um, and as I said, the work on the corner building, which we're going to call the community hub, we'll think of a snazzier name, but it explains what it is. The community hub, obviously that work won't start until probably we couldn't be done in the off season between 23 and 24. So with everything being finished by 24, uh, which is all about two years later than I'd hoped. But as I say, that's, that's COVID for you. Um, and, and the pitch depends which way we go, depends which way we go. We do have a win. Clearly we'd like to do the pitch in the off season. So it'll either be this off-season, 2022, or 22-23, or it'll be 23-24. Not, not fixed yet, but sooner the better is the way I'm looking at it. Um, so, so that brings that, I think that, you know, floodlights are done, big screens imminent. Um, so that's, yeah, I think those are the pieces. About the scoreboard, I love, I love a good scoreboard, or the, the screen. Yeah, the screen, well, the screen, the screen will act as a scoreboard. It acts as all sorts of things because you can get the computer, the screen is you can put all sorts of things on it, including adverts and, and replays, I guess, and stuff like that. Stuff that's technical, which would be on my, uh, but, uh, and I think a clock that you can actually see that counts down that you can actually read, I think. And I'm standing there, I'm standing there on uh, yesterday afternoon saying, is that 15 minutes to go or 13? I can't see it. And, and you know, you can't, once the sun's out, you can't see anything, can you? Yeah, we, we were exactly the same, yeah. Yeah, everyone, everybody's guessing. The whole people around me are guessing how long to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, is there going to be temporary seating, John, when, when the... Oh, stand yeah. Out? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. So, well, there's going to have to be, because as soon as we close that North Stand after the Wigan game, uh, those uh, those uh, patrons who've, uh, who've bought season tickets won't have a seat. So we're going to put temporary seating in in front of the South Stand in front of the south block of flats we it's all been measured up we can get six rows of temporary seating across there not the greatest um not covered um but kind of best we can do i mean the alternative to all of this was you know fold it all up and go somewhere else for a season but uh, didn't want to do that for all sorts of reasons not least money um so uh, yeah so but there's an element of, i've said this on social media occasionally there's an element in all of this which is Please bear with us, you know, while we, and I think people will, because people will see, there'll be that point that you said, Lee, which is, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, every time I put something on social media, I, amongst the first few responses is, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And and I get that because I'm one of those. I've said, I've said that for 50 years as well. Oh, news on the new stadium next week, probably. I'll believe it when I see it, you know. Um, so we're, uh, yeah. Um, but I think when people start seeing stuff, well, they, hopefully they are seeing stuff happening already. And, and we, we cut a big tree down behind the East Stand, which has been there for Donkey, which was, was sad, but it was in the way of the new stand, you know, so it had to go. Yeah. So you, we have started a bit of preparatory work. 
So we'll move on to the fans' questions, John. We did put something on Twitter and on Facebook, but ju- just before, we, we did get uh, probably the most questions from fans we've ever had. Really? Podcast, and that includes the likes of Gareth Ellis and Jason Dimitri, John. So you, you've done well there. Oh, great. More questions than answers then, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we were speaking briefly off-air, John. There's obviously some stuff you, you can't and won't go into detail, and that's including players and players' contracts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, certainly we can't go into individual stuff. You know, players' contracts are confidential. Um, you know, there's a, anything that's commercially confidential. Like, it's, it's a bit like when I was talking about the deal with the stadium I, I, beforehand. I'm not going to talk about the, the, the intricacies of that. That's that's uh, just not what you do. Yeah. So, yeah, so I can't do that. Um, but, you know, I, I said to you, I said you off air, you know, I don't mind throwing me anything. If I can't answer it, I'll tell you, you know. Is, is there a question coming from my dad here? He's asking if we're going to sign Cameron Munster next season. Uh, I don't know is the answer to that. <laughs> um, so, a serious one. Phil Townsend, a friend of ours and friend of yours, do, do you still enjoy your rugby now that it's, it's your main responsibility? Yeah, I, I saw that uh, question from Phil and I, and I thought it was, it was a good question. Um, and thank you, Phil, for asking it. Um, yes, I do. I do enjoy it. I do enjoy my rugby. I mean, I, I, I sort of, and I've said this to some people, you know, on match days, because uh, you know, if you're chairman, you've got to do, you know, you've got to welcome people and you've got to you've got to do what you have to do, you know. I don't have that much to do, but there's a little bit of you know, welcoming the 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 opposition's chairman and you know, saying hello to Stuart Middleton on Sunday and that sort of thing. But when the game starts, I'd say I just give myself 80 minutes off from being chairman. And I'll be a fan for 80 minutes while I while I'm watching the game. And I, and I can do that. And all the all the pent-up emotion that goes with that that I described earlier about how much it you know hurts or whatever. Um, so, and I say, I do apologise in advance for my antics uh, while, while I'm watching the game. So I do enjoy it at that level. I mean, on on Sunday, for example, I mean, I went up to the North Stand stood with my mate for a bit um, in the second half, thinking, you know, that might change the look because we've never been in front, we're always behind. And, and so I was there when Kalepi went over, right right in front of where he went over. And uh, I went I went mental at that point. And, um, <laughs> And to the point that people were saying, calm down, think of your heart, you know, sort of thing, you know, bless them. And, and uh, so I don't know, I hope nobody got a picture of it. But yeah, it, it really matters sort of thing. So, uh, and then when we, when, when Milky kicked that goal last week against Hull, that drop goal, and when we was, I was stood in the corner by the, um, by, by the, uh, by the tunnel entrance with, with Daz, uh, Daz from the, Daz from the shop and, uh, and Michael was there as well. And, when you watch Milky, you watch the bit of footage of Milky kicking it just before it, before the camera pans to the the players celebrating in the middle of the field, which was wonderful. You just catch in the corner a whole bunch of people throwing their hands in the air and going absolutely wild, and, and that was one of those. So <laughs> fortunately, you can't make it out, but I've told you now. Um, so yeah, so I do enjoy, I do enjoy the rugby, and if I didn't, then then something would be wrong. Um, but the other bit of that, the bit of that question I alighted upon was that word being responsible. Um, which is which is horrible in a way. And it, it, it's a great privilege. It's a great privilege. It's like I say about the stadium. You know, I've all, I've always wanted you know something to happen for the stadium and known it needs to happen. But I'm now privileged enough to be in a place to try and do something about it in in the position I'm in. I can try and just that's what I've tried to do, and and, and hopefully we're going to succeed in doing that uh, very shortly. Um, but that responsibility, you know, there are, there are people out there. Who, who just love the club, and I'm probably talking to a couple of them, you know, who love the club with a passion, who, who make it their life. And to think that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sort of sort of one of those, and that is a bit of a responsibility. There was somebody who said to me once, they said, oh, Wayfield, you know, John, Wayfield Trinity is my life. And I thought, my goodness, you know, 
you know, that's that's quite tricky. And you know, for Phil, who's you know, a super fan as well, isn't he? You know, to, to ask that question and say, uh, you know, it's got to like no pressure, isn't it? You know, <laughs> um, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. I mean, you know, somebody's got to be somebody's got to be chairman. Somebody's got to be chief executive. Somebody's got to take. Somebody's got to go and negotiate with the council. Somebody's got to sign the players. You know, it's not always me, but you know, somebody's got to do it, haven't they? So let's get on and do it. Um, yeah, and, I, and, I'm, and this is a privilege, as we said before. It's great. I think you, you hit the nail on the head, especially my generation of people. You know, I'm, I'm 30 this year, but yeah. growing up, there was no professional rugby union side. There's no professional football side. There's no real top tier cricket side, the Yorkshire, but they're based in Leeds. You've yep. got the Trinity around there, and that's it. Um, and Leeds United have, have been no good for 20 years. Barnsley have been no good. So you've got Wakefield Trinity, or you go out doing doing nothing. So it is our life around here, and, and you, you get you get some some people online who are, who are a bit negative about things. But I, I assume that's the minority. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What you're doing. Yeah, that's right. And it's important for the city. And we touched on that right at the start. In the city, um, Wakefield is synonymous. You know, with what's it known? What's it known for around the world? You know, uh, not in every part of the world, but you, know, you say Wakefield. What's it known for? It's known for the prison. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But Wakefield Trinity, um, and people, oh yeah, we've heard of Wakefield Trinity. They may not know what sport we play or whatever, but we're known for it. So it's, I think it's really important. And, and I think most, I think, you know, I think the people at the council get that, for example. You know, that, that does, and I play on that quite a lot. You know, I think that's, that's, that's really important. And it's, you do get to that point in your life where, um, and you're nearly there, Lee, but <laughs> you get to that point where and you're doing it already, where you want to put something back in a way, you know, this is, um, you know, if I can, if I can do something that helps, just like the players do and the coaches, and like you do with you, all the work you do with it, if we can all do something that gives people a smile and gives, you know, makes people feel better, then that's great, isn't it? You know, it's, um, you know, it gives people a bit of joy in life, and that was very clear during the pandemic. You know, when we had our people at the foundation were doing such a great job, and the players as well. You know, doing Zoom calls with fans and visiting them through Zoom calls, people who had nobody to, who didn't, who lived alone. You know, and delivering food and stuff like that and you know food delivered by somebody who's a player at Wakefield Trinity you know wow you know or you know a player's putting calls in it's it's things like that it's doing something for somebody else as uh, you get something out of it yourself you don't doubt that but um yeah it's uh, it, it's really important and it, and it's a nice thing to do I think Brilliant stuff. Ashley another fan's question now so I'm not sure how much you know about this John but it was an interesting point anyway are ongoing discussions around possible leads restructuring in 2024 something you'd know about? Um, I know it's ongoing. Um, I'm not sure if there is actually any discussion as we speak. I mean, I've been quite close to the, well, very close, I've been too close sometimes to the um, the coming together of the Super League and the RFL. And again, I don't want to go off down a rabbit hole on that. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, that coming together that was announced, the Rugby League commercial entity, I mean, I'm going to a board meeting tomorrow. Uh, Michael's away this week, so I'm off to the board meeting. And I've been going to the board meetings anyway with him. Um, it, it, the future of the, of the game, I think, is is a whole different topic and, and is a very difficult thing. You know, the, the reduction in the sky money, uh, which wasn't as a result of anything that we'd done or not done. It's just the market, the fact that, that TV companies don't want to pay as much for sport, they don't want to pay as much for this sport at this time as they did five years ago. And that's hit us very hard and hit the game very hard. So we need to do something. Um, and, and the job has been given to come up with an idea to IMG, as people maybe know, this you know, big 
global sports group, which I was, you know, reason say I knew them well or anything, but I was familiar with them through my professional career. So, you know, they are go-to people. They do know the sports world. They know how to market sports across the world. Um, if that's what we're going to do. And, and it's been left to them to come up with some, to interview lots of people, including us, you know, including club chairman and chief executives and all around the, and fans uh, and people we've been clear as, as clubs to say they must interview fans as well, but it's fans and prospective fans, isn't it? It's how to broaden the fan base and broaden the appeal of the game. So they're going to spend this summer going around and, and number one on their agenda is what structure of competition should we have for 2024? I think it, I think it's agreed that it will be the same in 23. So, you know, we've got we've got one promotion relegation this year in the end of 22 and then 23 takes its course. But what 24 will look like, we won't we don't know. But we do want to know, and everybody's the timetable is that we will know before we start before, by the end of the 22 season. So we can gear up in 24, not so much us, but teams are in the championship can gear up knowing where they're going to be. So will it be stay as it is at 12? Will it be 14? Will it be two tens? Will it be 16? Will it be some conference, you know, suggestion uh, like the American football? Um, don't know any of these things. And, the, you know, I don't, there's no big sort of sinister discussion going on behind closed doors where any conclusions have been drawn. I know a lot of people have said, oh, it's already agreed, isn't it? It's two tens. No, it's not. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think it is. I mean, I'm certain it isn't, right? So it's it's still out there. But we put it in the hands of people who are independent, who, who've got a view of what might appeal. Now, it'll still come back to the game, to the RFL and to the clubs, to to decide whether we want to go that way but there was a recognition amongst the clubs that self-interest is a very dangerous thing and according to where you are in the league you'd vote in a certain way you know um you know at the moment we wouldn't vote for 10 plus 10 would we because we're 11th <laughs> you know and and even if it was 10 plus 10 what does being in the second 10 mean is it the second 10 of 20 or is it the second 10, you know, and, and what does it mean financially in terms of how the money gets distributed? You know, clearly that's really important for, uh, and, and at the moment for a club that hasn't got a big ability to generate cash from non, from non rugby activity on non match days, as I mentioned a while ago, and for a club that doesn't have a big wealthy benefactor who can afford to throw hundreds, thousands of pounds, or even a million pounds at a club every year, which we haven't got, because that's not me or Michael, um, or anybody else that, that's on the board, but other clubs do have, without naming names, you know who they are. Almost every club, as Michael wrote in the forward to the, he wrote in his piece to the, the Mighty Trin magazine this month, um, which I commend to everybody at £2.50, what a, what a steal that is, to buy the Mighty Trin and sign up for that as a, as a magazine, which I think is rather good. As Michael said, you know, there's, I think there's only Salford and ourselves in, in the top 12, in this 12, you know, Super League competition. We haven't got you know, a big benefactor. Um, so for us, that central distribution matters more proportionately than anybody else. And sponsorship matters more. So, um, yeah, we've got to, it does matter to us and we'll have a say in it, but who knows? It's not something I worry about, to be honest, because I can't, I can have some influence, but not a lot of influence. It, that's not something that I can control. So let's not worry about it. Control the controllables. Let's not, let's not. I worry about the stadium because I'm trying to control that. And I think I can control how that's going but I don't worry about the future league structure. But it'll be what it'll be, and we'll get on with it, you know, um, as, as we always have. Good stuff, mate, good stuff. Uh, just going back to the field stuff, you're in your fifth season as club chairman now. What's been your highs and your lows in that time on the field? On the field, crikey. Um, five years, mate. Can you believe it's nearly five years? Is it, I don't believe it isn't five years. That's... Four, four and a half years since you've been involved. Well, it's, it's 19, 20, 21. 
It's three and a half seasons, isn't it? Oh, is it? I didn't, yeah. Didn't it's 19, 20, 21, and half of 22. So three and a half. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, I, that was just buying myself some time to think about it. Um, <laughs> uh, the high, a high is always the mirror of the low. So a high is London at home 2019. Mm-hmm. Last game of the season to stay up. Now, you say, oh, that's great, Nick. No, that's a high. The best we can do is just stay up. But on that moment, in that moment, on that night, staying up was really always, obviously, was really important. And we won that game. Now, we weren't the favourites to go down. They were, and there were two other clubs in the mix. Huddersfield and Hulk are in the mix as well, weren't there? And results had to go a certain way for us to go down. But and we could have lost to London and still stayed up, I think. But but hey, going out there, knowing a job needed to be done. I was I was on a golf tour um, up in Scotland that week uh, with some mates, some old mates. It was already sort of pre organized and the, the game got shifted I think to the Friday night so I decided I had to come back so I cut the golf tour short I was north of Inverness that morning <laughs> and, and got a taxi to Inverness and then got a and then got a train and another train or another train to Doncaster another train to Wakefield just got there in time you know for the game because I thought I needed to be there I wanted to be there and I needed to be there so um that was a big day so that that sticks in the memory that was that was a good day beating Warrington the other week away Mm-hmm. I didn't go to both of the games. I went to the second one to do it for the second time in a week because that was the top-class performance yeah. in some adversity. It was the one where Kalepi, Kalepi didn't get the penalty try yeah, that we should have been yeah. given, didn't get sent upstairs. I mean, what a ridiculous decision. I was raging about that at halftime. Uh, but they, that was, you know, I think, you know, this is a top team. We put in a top performance there. Um, and the start of um, twenty. Start at the start. Was it the start of nineteen? I think it was. There was a. I think it was that first season, nineteen, when we were sitting third at one point for and, until injury struck. Until Tom did his ACL at Hull, yeah. mm-hmm. then T went down at at um, Huddersfield, and I think Tash went off at the same sort of time. And we and Dave did his foot at uh, Magic Weekend at Anfield, and we didn't know what that injury, how bad that injury was going to be. And uh, Bruffy did. He broke his thumb. But nonetheless, we put in a good performance against Saints in the Cup and Crofty played a great game. There was a series of games there where we were really going well. And we'd been fifth the previous year and we were going really well. And then and it fell apart. And so, so th- there were some good highs in that in that little run, actually. Um, and the lows are, are games where that game at Huddersfield, Chesley's last game at Huddersfield uh, was just yeah. terrible. I mean... And and there was some bad moment, you know. There was a there was a there was a big kick, and in his senior did something inexplicable behind his own post, and Dave <laughs> knocked on at some point, and we were eight, were we eighteen nil up, and then lost by by a huge margin. Um, that was despair, to be honest. Um, and you know, and, it, and and the change of coach didn't turn on that day, but but that was it was after that result that we you know we we uh, you know we had to have that that difficult time. Um, you know, and there was bad luck in all of that as well as, uh, but there have been there have been other games where we just have kind of lost it a little bit. But they haven't been for a while now. You know, this season, although we lost a number of games on the trot, we lost at the start with another bad run. We've not been. We lost badly at Wigan against a really good Wigan side when we didn't have a strong side out this season. We lost um, that first half against Leeds. <laughs> you know, when we didn't have any centres. Yeah, I know. I know. Batch is now the greatest centre in the world, but that was only this week. If that turned out from last week, at that time he was playing centre with Pitsy, and they they knew where our weakness was. And so, but but if you take that game and a half away, I think in terms of performance, we've been close. We played bloody well at Saints 
you know, and and they said, you know, this, you played well there, you know, I, I had the same people telling me how well we played. So, yeah, the, 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 but in, during lockdown, when it was funny old times and, you know, chairs only had 17 players to pick, you know, there were only 17 fit players and all sorts, you know, all sorts of COVID related stuff as well as injuries. Um, and we were putting out just 17 players on the pitch and, and getting beaten quite heavily in places like Saints and Leeds was, was pretty poor. So, but that's where I feel, highs and lows, you know? Yeah, yeah, we're used to them, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of the fans' questions, John, uh, were based around um, players' contracts, which we've mentioned, signings, are we going to sign a prop, or what's mm. going to happen, so-and-so, which we've sort of brushed off, because that's my, more Michael's area. But over the years, you must be very pleased about our emphasis on youth. Mark Apple has done a good job, oh, a yeah. great job, and as in all the youth development. Under your tutelage or under your regime, we've, we've got a good youth setup, haven't we? Yeah, we have nothing to do with me. I mean, no, I, no, they, no. Marsh is outstanding as a youth coach. Roger Lambert, who's the director, has been working closely with him over the last two or three years, been really helpful, I think Marsh would say, immediately as well, and, you know, giving it some real leadership at board level. But Marsh is the man. I mean, the the application that we put in, the successful application for the Elite Academy, uh, before the whole process turned into a bit of a farce, and you know what I mean, to those who know, but we went in, and we got there was never any doubt that we were going to get the elite academy, you know, despite having really poor facilities, <laughs> um, because we could demonstrate what we do with our young players and how we give them a chance and how we develop them and the pathway and all that sort of thing. And I think, yeah, so so all credit to Mash, who is outstanding at that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really exciting. I mean, you know, Lewis Murphy, you know, <laughs> need I say more? You know, it's like that's unbelievable. And you know, we've seen some, and, and Corey Hall, who was in our academy before he got nicked by Leeds and came back, as I always say to him, you know, some of the outside backs that we've had and, you know, Harry now you throw into any game at, at nine, um, you don't worry about that. Forwards take a little bit longer. Um, you know, we have a lot of, you know, always a, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm not regarding Geordie as a young lad anymore or Batch or or Max, you know, but, but um, you know, the crop that's coming through now with Isaac and, uh, and Sam, and I'll, I'll, I'll forget somebody, you know, and so I'll, I won't try and name them all something, but you know who I'm, who I'm talking about, these young lads. The forwards take a bit longer because um, they just need to get a bit more. They need to develop that physicality that comes with age, as we all know, um, <laughs> before it gets out of control. Um, but they need to get a bit bigger, the, the lads who play in the middle. and But they're coming through and... Uh, yeah, and we, we have to do that, but we also think it's the right thing. It's it's entirely consistent with being that community club mm-hmm. um, and, you know, being the club that people come to, want to feel a part of on the playing side or not on the playing side. So we really value the, the young lads who play in our, in our youth, in our academy and scholarship and their parents and the people who, who work with them. Uh, they're really important to us. Brilliant. And, and, and sorry, just to finish up by saying, and, you know, uh, Jamie Field and, and Jay Pitts, you know, Jay Pitts bridging... From being a youth player, I know he went elsewhere and <laughs> taken to Leeds, didn't he? And London, so but coming back, and you know nobody could be more Wakefield than Jay, and uh, to have him involved with the youth setup as well, mm. providing it doesn't take him too far away from the first team, where we really value him, uh, is tremendous. Good stuff, mate. Right, we always ask this to various people. We've meant we've given you heads up about your best Trinity thirteen. Oh. Yes. Now this goes back out forty odd years, so we've fired it at you. We've sort of. We thought we'd start with a full-back. So the best 13 you've seen play in a Wakefield Trinity shirt. Right. Over to you. Well, I, yeah, and, and what I'm doing is I'm saying all that stuff I said earlier about the game has changed. So this is a team that couldn't play together because they've been yeah, playing yeah. different sort of positions, you know, props and middles and so on. So, and, and eras can't be compared. But in their era, I'm picking players who've been outstanding in their era. 
I mean, at fullback, I think the two lads we've got at fullback at the moment are great, are great players. I watched Jeff Wraith play a couple of times. Um, Les Sheard. I mentioned Kevin Harkham. I'm kicking a goal from anywhere. I've mentioned Harold Box. But I've picked somebody who um, has also become a mate, actually, who does a tremendous amount still for our club, who was a hero in the middle of the, the time we're talking about. And, and I think a hero of our 92 side, and that's Gaz Spencer. I think Gaz, I think was he didn't wasn't with us that long, and he came back later, and he was nicked away to Leeds. I know he didn't want to go, but he he, he, had, he was told he had to go anyway. I think Topo told him he had to go. Yeah. Uh, but I always thought Gaz Spencer was a tremendous fullback. He talks it down now, but I thought he was safe as houses under the high ball, which I think then and now was important as a fullback. You know, when anybody's going to spill anything, and he was good in the line, and he was great young prospect. I think he'd come through with us, hadn't he? And uh, you know, was was taken away to to greater things, perhaps. Um, and I'm, you know, sure if any, I'm sure he didn't. The fact that he didn't go on to even greater and greater and greater things was injury, probably. Uh, but he, and he's a top man. He's, he's guys, top man. So I've I put him at number one because I couldn't decide amongst all the others anyway. But I thought real top man and a, a great Trinity man as well. Excellent wingers. Wingers. Um, somebody um, on the right wing who I saw 99 times play for Wakefield. Not that I keep records on these sort of things, Lee, but you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, was a massive hero of mine back in the day. Privileged to have met him, seen him in the bar occasionally and chat to him. And I'm just in awe of the fact that I can even have a conversation with Andy Fletcher. Um, he was quick. Last person to score a try for us at Wembley. Guy who scored the try that took us to Wembley in the semi-final against Saints. And he was quick as anything, wasn't he? He was just, he had a side, he had a step on him. And he was, he was magical And in, in my growing up team. So I'd have him there on, on the right wing all day long. Um, on the left wing, um, I was very tempted to put Brian Juliff there alongside him on the other side. He was a tough winger and he's a lovely man as well, isn't he? He's still very much involved in rugby league down in Wales. And I had the privilege of meeting him on an occasion as well. And I'm a really nice guy. Um, uh, I know he's been on the right wing for us, but uh, BJB was, scored some spectacular tries for us that I saw. Um, and very tempted just to say Lewis Murphy. Because you know, after yesterday and that that tackle, I don't know whether when we'll see a better better moment. Somebody tracking back, but he's for the future. So I'm going to go with Tom with Tom Johnson um, uh, for all the injury problems and bad luck and so on. We've got it at the moment. He's you know he's got an issue at the moment, which is keeping him out. But he has scored some amazing tries for us on that left wing, and uh, and he's electric. So I think he's right up there. So. I'm trying to stay away from the current team because I love them all, you know, and I see them on a on a on a daily basis sometimes. But I will I will name two or three of them, and I think Tom's right up there. Excellent centres. At centre, one of my one of my all time favourites from way back. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd got. I mean, with apologies to TC, obviously, who I saw play at centre and every other position on the field. Um, and and I looked at. Um, you know, Andy Mason was 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 quick as a as a left centre, one of the quickest I've seen. Reese clearly is a is a class act. Corey Hall is becoming a class act as well. Um, because I was looking for a right centre, I didn't choose Steve Diamond, who was a great goalkeeper for us as well, and in that seventy nine side. So I chose Keith Smith, mm -hmm. um, who I just loved as a player. Sadly, no longer with us, but um, he kicked goals at Wembley for us. Last man to kick a goal for us at Wembley, yeah. and and he was a class player. You know, suffered with injury and got targeted, but then you know could have been a great number six for us. It never really happened, but I I loved him as a player. Um, I remember running on the field at Leeds once and just in a euphoria because we'd won at Headingley and I ran on and, and clapped him on the back and said, well done, that big number three on his back. And, you know, it's one of those daft, hazy memories. So Keith Smith. Um, 
there could only be one number four. Um, and I never saw him play centre. We've mentioned it already. I saw him run on a field for us, which is good enough to get him in this side because, you know, the greatest of all time. Um, so that's been Neil, Neil Fox. Saw him play once and, um, and what a lovely man. What a lovely man as well. Uh, to meet him today, you know, um, would be, you know, and I see him occasionally around the ground. And uh, he, he came up and shook my hand and said, thank you for all you've done for our club. And I was <laughs> like, Neil, you can't thank me. I, what have you done, you know? All the things you've done for our club. So, uh, Neil, Neil Fox, I'm privileged to be able to put him in the team, really. Yeah. Excellent. Um, half back. Half back, I'm going to go in the modern era in the sense that I'm going to choose two half backs that would never play together. Um, and much as, you know, you know, Mason's, I think he's electric and could go on to be a massive player for us. Milky already is and has done a great job for us at the current half backs. Mentioned Alan Agar from a great era, Steve Eller who played for us only a few times, was a real talent and could also have played at fullback. But I've, I can't leave out Wally Lewis, can I? Um, from a, I watched Wally Lewis play for Wakefield and, the, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. So he has to be in a, in a halfback, a very different halfback to anybody else. So I was at Lee when he played in an away game and he threw a pass out that, you know, nobody nobody caught because nobody could, other than he, and we always say, other than his brother who turned up and knew where he was going to was stand out on the wing and catch it. You know, he was an immense player, wasn't he? And he could have played anywhere, probably on the field. Certainly could have played thirteen, but I've, but he was he was a halfback. He was a six, wasn't he? So so Wally Lewis had to play. Um, but clearly, I couldn't leave out the great David Topless. Already discussed him. You know, all time great hero. So so Lewis and Topless, which isn't a scrum half standoff combination, but it's it's two halves, right? Yeah. Um, up front, uh, we've mentioned Trevor Skerritt already, and I have Trevor Skerritt in. He played second row as well, but he was hard as nails. I think playing up front, you want people who are absolutely hard as nails. Um, uh, I've got, you know, uh, you know, other words for that, but I won't use them on a, on a public podcast. You know, you want people who are real hard. And Trevor Skerritt, for me, was all of that, and with us, and a great club man as well, and one of our whole famers. And I was privileged to see him many times turn out for Wakefield. Um, uh, and, and, you know, he gets in ahead of Michael Kolkidis, who was, a, I, mean, I don't know, he was a complete animal, wasn't he? I know you've had him on the, the podcast, but I mean, he was amazing, an amazing animal of a player and just so determined in a couple of spells with us. And when I first started watching, George Ballantyne played up front and he was a big lad who was, was a great lad. And Roy, Roy Bratt played many times. I watched him many times play for us. Um, and in the current side, you know, we've got some great players. We've got uh, Jai Whitbread and... Um, and T. Arona, you know, T's been a, a servant. Jai, I think, is a real quality player coming through. Um, but I have gone for one of our current players, and that's that's David Fafita. Mm-hmm. I think he's, um, yeah. I mean, I said to him, I said, <clears throat> and I said to him once, I don't, I don't mind telling you, I said, David, you could, you know, you could be, and you may already be the greatest number eight we've ever had. And, uh, you know, just go, if you can just get him to go out and play, just like he's playing at the moment, he's making a massive difference for us at the moment. And he's he's had those injury issues that, you know, we didn't, it took a while to get to the bottom of twice in his spell, but I think he's just amazing for us. Um, and, you know, long may that continue, as they say with David, because uh, I think he's just a standout player. He's a standout player in the, in the, in the league. Yeah. So there are me two. Uh, by the way, I've chosen, when I've chosen a um, an international player, I've also chosen a UK player. I just need to backtrack. If I was to pick somebody else at half half back from that list, I, somebody I didn't mention, and I went back to a, a conventional scrum half standoff, I'd actually put Danny Brough in there because uh-huh. I think Danny Brough was just an amazing player. You know, a love hate relationship with Danny um, because when he was playing against you, you hated him. You know, and I've told him that. 
there was a game against Huddersfield once when he was playing for them and I was behind the sticks and um, we thought we'd scored in the last minute to win the game and the referee pulled it back for a forward pass and so we'd lost we'd lost on the Hoodrow and Bruffy turned to the north stand and gave her the biggest finger you've ever seen and I thought you bastard <laughs> but he, and I've told him that uh, that's the story I told us a little leaving day we had for him but um, great player and, and what a kicker um if it wasn't able to feature at eight, I would, um, of all, none of the ones I've already mentioned, I'd pick John Burke yeah. from that 79 side, because I think he was a lunatic as well. Um, didn't play that many times because he got sent off most of the time, but, uh, but when he did, and he, he came into that final side and uh, did a great job. So yes, I know he, he didn't. It, well, actually, John Burke never got sent off. Well, he got sent off on his debut. Yeah, that, that's what I remember. And then never got sent off again. Is that he, right? He settled oh. down in that 1978-79 season. Yes, I remember. I was at the game where he got sent off, yeah. 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 He was a standout prop and got picked for Great Britain at the end of the season. He did, on so, the Australian tour, yeah. Yeah, so that he, he settled down under that uh, under Ian Brooke. Um, uh, yeah, because he came with a reputation, didn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. He'd been banned yeah. for six months before we signed him. How was it? He, How was he got it? sent yeah. off on his A-team debut. He got sent off on his first-team debut. And then he settled down. And we had a great yeah, season. Amazing. And, and, he, and then he went at the end of the season. So... So I would have him, but behind David, I'd have him. I'd have him there. At nine, um, yeah, Paul Ayton was a bit of an animal at a nine, wasn't he? He was a great player. Carl Wood, great service for us. Um, there's a current crop, but I'm going to pick our greatest Cumbrian, Alan McCurry, okay. um, who was in that 79 side as well. We signed him, and he was like an ever-present. He played for years as an ever-present, and he, he shuffled the ball around quite nicely and... Yeah, and a little bit of pace every now and again and went through and uh, yeah I, I loved him and because he was he had the beard and the grey hair and he was just he was a real character wasn't he I, he the, I never he met the, him he had the beard and grey hair I think he was only 24 I know that's right yeah when we signed him from Whitehaven yeah Whitehaven, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and uh, so I loved Alan McCurry um, and so I picked him at, at nine. Second row actually was quite was quite straightforward I, I mean Pitts is a great player Tash is a great player uh, Kalepi would be on my bench, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, he's back on his game now, isn't he? And, and obviously, Kalepi's a, a complete beast. But I had to pick possibly the greatest player I've seen play, just in terms of talent. Um, I've mentioned all the ones I've already mentioned, and I've touched on him before, and that's Bill Ashurst. He was a genius with the ball, I thought. Mm -hmm. uh, both with the foot and with the hand. And he would just, the ball would come out at different... A ball playing second row forward, who was a big bloke, could tackle could run, could sprint. A, a try he scored against Bradford once when he, he chipped over and regathered. Then dubbed Keith Mumby and went in under the sticks. I was behind that goal and uh, that was just a magical moment for me and clearly suffered badly from injuries. It was a record signing when he came, but you know the way we pushed him out at the final at 79 when he, he should never have played, I understand, but you know we had to get him out there on one leg. And, uh, and when he came back as coach, he came back and he came on the field as a player coach, didn't he, and tried to keep yeah. us up. Yeah. I remember a game at Featherston was behind the posts and he threw out six dummies and popped the ball up and somebody dropped it. Yeah. And we could have got on to we might have stayed up, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Right, yeah. I don't know I'm making this up, but I'm I'm pretty certain it's a vivid memory. I just thought Bill Ashurst was an absolute genius um with the ball. You're probably right in saying John, my dad will back me up. I think he played in the NRL before it was fashionable as well. He did, yeah. He, he did. Back, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he went out and played for Penrith, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. With Mike Stevenson. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't think he got on with. <laughs> Topo. Topo played for that same team. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so I love Bill Ashes. And alongside Bill Ashes, what, 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 what we always wanted to see, me and my mates, was Bill Ashes popping the ball up to a young Andy Kelly. 
Uh-huh. Who would come crashing onto the ball, and you know was, and so Andy Kelly above the price, Gary Price, and and many others that I've mentioned as well. But Andy Kelly was just a, a, a you know, he was such a big lad, wasn't he? And and uh, when he came through as a youngster, and again another one who went away because couldn't afford to keep him, and so on. And uh, but again, a great club man who coached one of our greatest days at Huddersfield uh, as well. So uh, and he's a lovely man as well. I haven't really met him, but I'd, I'd sort of see him around and think mm-hmm. Andy Kelly would be in there as well. Um, and then playing 13, um, you know, with all due deference to, to the great batch and, and Geordie and Graham Idle, who was a great 13 for us uh, back in back in the 79 side. Um, another overseas player was with us for only a short time. So I think I think his shirt's just behind you, uh, Lee. Actually, yeah. it's Ray Price. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, again, another hardest guy you'd come across. And he would tackle all day, wouldn't he? And he was 36 when he played for us. Or something so, yes, like that. He was, yes, he was. Yeah, and he was just immense, and he just got all around the field and just led by example. And he, how good he would have been when he was twenty six, I don't know, but he was he was immense. Um, so I had to put him in him at thirteen. If I didn't pick him as much as because he's an overseas player, I would have Mike Lankowski there at thirteen because yeah. I think when he made that switch, he was he was a bit of an animal as well. And these drives from the base of the scrum when 13s played there were just, yeah. and then the one handed pass off uh, was was another memory of mine. Mm. Wonderful. So, so that, that was me thirteen. That was me thirteen. I'd um, I'd probably have I'd probably have people like Brookie, John Burke, Mike Lamkowski, and um, maybe Kalepi on my bench if I was allowed <laughs> four subs as well. But I think that team in most eras would beat most teams. Excellent. Yeah, we're going back as well as being the chairman and a fan. You know, you're quite a fan of history as well. We we talk a lot, and um, you know, you're a great sort of supporter of our past players events. Everything I do, you're always very supportive of it. So we've got to thank you there. But as I say, you're, you're a fan of of our history as well as the modern day. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's all it's all part of the club. It's again going back to that thing I said at the start, right? You know, when you think away from Trinity, it's the it's the history of the club, and, and that's why I'm so appreciative of what you do because. It's it's so important to us, um, you know. Perhaps it's just getting old, you know. <laughs> you look back a lot when you get old, and history becomes more important to you. Um, but I do think, yeah, it's it, this is an institution we have here. Uh, it's a rugby club, and we've got to be focused on it. it's about winning rugby games, and and you know you can, but it's about so much more. It's about the community. It's about what our foundation do, the PDRL wheelchair LDRL teams, what they do. It's also about the emerging women's team as well which is so important to us uh, and all the stuff we do in the community all of that's really important and at the same time balancing that with success for the first team um which is the the, the shop window and, and and what we're what we're known for um and it's uh, it's just a fascinating thing to be involved in as we start, I, I just love it as we start to wind down john what what are you like away from away from bugger league away from your work for that half an hour every week that you get to <laughs> Yeah, cracky. I don't know. I'm a nightmare, I think, probably. You better ask Jane that. Um, I, um, one of my other, well, I, my boys take up quite a bit of time and I, you know, love spending time with them uh, as they're growing up. And then, I, you know, they have to say they're 15 and 17 now. So they're really big for me and, and family. I'm lucky enough to have my, uh, my brother and his family were at the game yesterday. They decided they wanted to come and watch it and, and had a great time. They said they're not regular watchers, but they, they came up and so on. So, um, I like spending time with with mates, old mates from school or from university or from work times, you know, going on golf and stuff like that. Um, I'm passionate about railways. 
Um, so yeah, I'm a train spotter. I always <laughs> have been. I, um, I've got model railway in this room behind me. I've got one upstairs uh, that I'm still building. You never finish building model railway. Um, so just enjoy going out and do that photography around that as well with my, my eldest son as well. Um, yeah, just there's always stuff to do. Um, I'm not finding that um, that retirement is causing me any. I mean, I'm not finding time to do all the things I want to do in retirement. You know. Uh, whether it's you know looking after the house or uh, but a lot of it comes back to Wakefield at the moment um, I keep saying you know once we get this stadium underway I'll have more time for my other things oh and oh and, and of course this month June month is concert month and in particular it's Elvis Costello month <laughs> so I'm a massive Elvis Costello fan for those who, who remember Elvis Costello you will be yeah. and uh, so I've seen him twice I saw him last I went up to Newcastle on Wednesday and saw him and we, we went across to Manchester on Saturday night and saw him I'm seeing him again on Thursday in Oxford and then <laughs> London the week after. So when he tours the UK, I, you know, I see him several times and, uh, and I've, I go travel the world sometimes because I've been seeing him in New York and Boston and Brussels and Paris and so on. So I'm a massive, and I find he has a, I haven't used any today in this chat, but he always has a song lyric for every occasion as well, because he's had 33 studio albums. So I'm a massive, as I say on my Twitter, you know, I'm a disciple of Elvis Costello. So that's a big part of my life as well. Uh, and we're going to the Isle of Wight festival this weekend to watch some other bands um because there's no game this weekend well there's the international game but there's we've not got a game so uh we're off down there to do that um yeah i've never sure things to do i do too much traveling and i'm too much diving around and everybody you know michael tells me that all the time you're a golfer as well mate aren't you because didn't you win the past players uh tournament last year i picked a very good team to be in <laughs> graham teal leading us and a couple of uh luke and uh from the from uh, Luke Shale from the um, uh, from the foundation, so, yeah. So we were lucky enough to win that, yeah. But it wasn't down to my. I'm not. A, I'm not the player I used to be, and I never was very good at the start. So, uh, but I enjoy it, and it's a social thing you can do with mates. And uh, so, yeah, I play occasionally with Michael and and so on. And as I got mates from different areas of my life, I have a golf tour in July that I do with two of my old schoolmates and my brother and my lad and his lad and we go up to Scotland and we and it's great this year because we're going to Magic Weekend and then we're going on to play golf after that so Newcastle and then Scotland so what's not to like there really yeah 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 I'm plenty of stuff to do John usually around this point we'll we'll do a bit of a mini paragraph and a, a bit of a thank you and explain what you've done for the club but you've summed it up there in, in just under two hours so we've hit the time <laughs> there I think as well um, I'm quite I'm quite beaten David Hufita yet then. <laughs> Run as well. I'm sure we can stretch for another 10 minutes. But for what you've done so far, for, for all of your, your efforts and your love of the club, and I'm sure it will come for many years as well, I just want to say thank you on behalf of, of everybody listening on, and me and my dad and, and hope that it all continues to, to prosper for you and, and for us as well. Yeah, well, let's, let's just keep, let's keep the winning run going. It's all about week to week, isn't it, guys? So that's what matters. But and again, as I said earlier, thank you for all you do. Really, real pleasure to talk to you. Brilliant stuff. Thank you, everybody, for participating in the fans' questions and listening to episode 39 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms worldwide and follow us on Facebook and Twitter under the Wakefield Trinity Heritage banner. Massive thank you to my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. Once again, massive thank you to John Minards. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Triscamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!